Welcome to The Long View. We're your hosts, Tim Baumgartner and Jane Wassum, where we talk about stories of vocation and formation. And today our guest is Katie Lines, and uh, she's originally from Colorado, went to Milligan for her undergraduate, and then did an MAR at Emanuel Christian Seminary, and then made her way up to Portland Seminary at George Fox University for a doctor of ministry in uh, global and international studies. Leadership and global perspectives. Leadership and global perspectives. Welcome, Katie. If you, oh, sorry. Uh, We are so glad you're here with us today. Um, If you would tell us a little bit of your story um, of your ministry, hitting some of uh, just the high points and why you chose ministry. Well, okay. I'll start by saying that um, I decided when I was maybe in third or fourth grade that, you know, you know, those, those, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, um, I actually have, have a son who, when he was, um, even younger than that, he, um, always joked that when he was growing up, when he was growing up, he wanted to be a cow. And then when he was done being a cow, he was going to be a security guard. Nice. So, Our oldest um, wanted to be a truck when he grew up. Okay. So there you go. And I was like, why do you want to be a cow? It's because he wanted to, he liked milk. But um, when when I was growing up, I wanted to either be an archaeologist or a missionary. Uh, as I grew older, uh, it just continued to be kind of a singular focus of wanting to serve on the mission field. I grew up in the church, loved Jesus, um, loved exploring other cultures and um, learning about people that were different than me. So decided really early on that those two fit really well together. Yeah. So graduated high school. And if you would have asked me, I would have said, I'm going to be a missionary. And um, yeah. And that was really the only vocational focus that I had. So I did undergrad and grad school with my um, at Milligan and Emanuel, um, really preparing solely to go on the mission field. Um, What started me in in ministry? I mean, that's that was really my focus um, and didn't really look much beyond that to begin with. So you, you grew up in the church then, and that was kind of your focus from the beginning? Was yeah. there yeah. an experience um, with traveling or overseas or something that um, kind of led you in that direction of missions? Uh, that's interesting, Jane, because um, I, I mean, a lot of people have asked me that over the years, and I don't know that I have a singular experience that would say that that's what turned me towards that. Um I, I had some some confirmation experiences. Like when I was in high school, I took a short-term summer trip to Scotland. Uh, this was before short-term trips were a thing. Yeah. Um, and I was like the only person from my church that went because you didn't take youth group trips places at that point. But I went and spent a summer with some missionaries in Scotland in high school. But that was because I already knew that that's what I wanted to do. So there wasn't one particular thing. I think it was just really an outgrowth in, in being curious about the world and um, and loving Jesus that kind of went hand in hand for me. So once you kind of went down that path, like what were some of the Give us sort of some of the different roles that you've had over the years and how that's played out. (laughs) Yeah. So if you know me at all, you know that I'm not still uh, living uh, outside of the U.S. Um, Yeah. So we did. I did. I got married and we did go serve overseas in uh, northwestern Kenya. We were with CMF International uh, for about 10 years living amongst the Turkana people and um, great experience being a part of that community or communities. We lived in several different um, small towns and villages 
number of different roles there. Uh, one of the roles was surviving. Um, <laughs> <laughs> really just, uh, literal, you know, making, yes. you made it. Really, yeah, making it through the day and figuring out uh, what to do when you don't have any water and uh, your batteries didn't charge and you are low on food and low on fuel and your kids are sick. And, you know, so really that was that was part of it. Um, officially, uh, we spent our time uh, doing uh, working alongside church leaders, doing church planting and then primarily leadership uh, developments amongst the church leaders there. Um, my roles varied uh, significantly. A lot of it had to do with caring for my children, um, but I also did Bible studies. I uh, led retreats. I, uh, it, towards the end, did administration of our clinics, oversaw the clinics there. So, I mean, just like all sorts of things while we lived there. Coming back to the States, we uh, returned back in 2007, 2008, and uh, I continued to serve in ministry. I worked for several years as a children's minister in a couple of different churches, stepped out of ministry for a few years, and during that time went back to get my doctorate. And, uh, and then also while I was working on my doctorate, moved again, and um, in this new location took a position as a pastor here where I currently serve. I mean, that's a very broad view of everything. So what, uh, what, I guess, prompted you to go back and work on your doctor ministry? Yeah. Um, so I mentioned I had been out of ministry for a couple of years, um, was really wrestling with my identity as someone who the church had ordained for vocational ministry um, and realizing that, that there was both that calling that the church had placed on me and my own desire to be in a role that I could be doing that kind of work. Uh, And yet the tension was the lack of opportunity that I had in uh, churches because of my gender Um, and that that was a very limiting factor for me. And so just that was a tension that I wrestled with for many years, even when I was still in vocational ministry. And that was part of, but not primarily, but part of why I stepped out for a few years. Um, So my decision to pursue my doctorate was really to uh, better qualify myself uh, to serve the church in roles that uh, I really wanted to serve in. So I think uh, speaking for women, um, And, you know, there might be some out there that haven't had that experience, but myself, as well as I'm sure many others have had that experience and feeling, um, what can you say a little bit more about being in that tension and what, were were there any, you know, particular things that you did or ways that you approached that? Um, I mean, you obviously went back to school, but are there any other, you know, practices or just things that you did um, to kind of live in that tension? Yeah, I, I mean, so, the, yeah, I, that's a really good question. Other practices that I did to live in that tension. Um, I made a decision to continue to serve the church with the gifts that I had in spite of the limitations that they were placing on me. Some days that was easier than others. 
Um, but um, it's, it's in some ways the discipline that we have to choose joy in the midst of crisis or tension or struggles is um, often the posture that I would take as well is, is to choose uh, to find creative ways to continue to serve and to use my gifts for the building up of the kingdom in spite of the ways that followers of Jesus would, would try to put limitations on that. So often it was a posture or an attitude with which I approached it and a, a seeking, a creative seeking of ways that I could still use those gifts in the limited ways, the parameters that the church was putting on me because of my gender. Um, but, but I also, other practices that I, that I implemented was, was a, a reading of scripture and a reminding of not just myself, but others as often as I could, things like from 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, you know, where, um, where Paul talks about the, the spirit given to us, you know, Paul says to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. And that idea that um, that the gifts that I've been given are not for my own sake, but they're for your sake. And so um, whenever the gifts of the spirit are limited, whether by external reasons like other people in the church or my own refusal to use those gifts, then the work of the spirit is diminished and, and the kingdom of God is, is diminished because of of those limitations that we put on the work and the gifts of the spirit that have been given to all of us for the common good, um, Ephesians, for the building up of the body. So I, I, I continued to, um, to both posture myself in ways to find creative expression and yet also continue to push on uh, the recognition of the spirit's presence and works and gifts in all of us for the building up of the common good, for the building up of the body. And I think that's fascinating because as a guy, part of that nuance, I don't even have to worry about or think about, uh, particularly in, you know, in the Christian church world uh, where we kind mm-hmm. of both have roots in. And uh, so f- for me, you know, vocation was like, what do I want to do and where is God calling me? And then I just go mm-hmm. and do that. Right. And so mm-hmm. there's no question of, is this even possible? Will I be able to find meaningful work where I can actually get paid and support myself or my family doing this work. And so, you know, my, my concept and most other guys concept and idea of vocation, I just haven't had to take that into consideration. And so you know, one of the questions that we want to ask, you know, all the folks that we are able to chance to talk to is kind of what is your working definition of vocation and or calling and how has that changed over the years? And so there's, there's going to be layers to a definition or an understanding of vocation that you might have that a guy like myself, I haven't had to consider or, or, or worry about. And so um, I'm interested in kind of what you, how you would respond to that. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I just, I, I appreciate you acknowledging that um, for guys, that's just not a question, especially guys in, in our um, restoration movement yeah. churches that, that, um, that the question of what does the church perceive is, is the limitations of the spirit in me to serve others um, is just not a question that you've ever had to wrestle with. 
um, or that frustration or that um, tendency or inclination to dive, delve into um, bitterness because of it. You know, that's just, that's a gift that you have. And so I, guys that are at least aware of that and, um, and then work to, um, to change that, <laughs> I am always very grateful for. Um, so I, yeah, I appreciate that a lot. Um, the, vo- the vocation idea for me has definitely expanded um, and partly out of my experience of not being in formal ministry for many, for, for three or four years. Mm-hmm. I was going to say many years, but in the <laughs> scheme of things, it really wasn't that long. <laughs> three or four um, years is a long time though. <laughs> it really happened. is to like to, to be like, or like ordained to do this work and then to not do that work for three or four years can seem like an eternity. Yeah. yeah. So on the one hand, um, I was really longing and, and, and desired to, to step back into a vocational role in the church. Um, and yet I, uh, my, my work that I was doing was, uh, working in a Christian university library and, um, you know, just doing library stuff. Sure. And uh, what what I found, and, and in many ways, it was just a good place to 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 recover from some of the hard things that I had had experienced um, previously to that. Um, but what I discovered there was that who I was didn't change. Um, that that just because I wasn't wearing a, an official title didn't change who I actually was. Right. Um, and. And I found that almost because I didn't have that official title of somebody in ministry, um, that I could build relationships with people that maybe normally wouldn't, um, wouldn't be open to befriending or spending time with someone who had the role of pastor or minister in their title. Um, so it really opened up a lot of, I'd say, pastoral opportunities um, and friendship opportunities that uh, that could move into some good conversations about faithfulness in the way of Jesus that I don't think I would have had if I had 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 those title roles of in a church, um, and so that kind of started me thinking. And I, you know, I think I wrestled with it previously too. That it's not so much the title as it is the posture of our approach to life and to others that is the the calling um so a a definition of vocation or calling it's really um a posture that we're willing to enter into and if you're you're thinking about pastoral work like for instance tim i'll call you out and say i know that you are not serving um in a a pastoral staff role right now, are you no, in a church? I never have. Yeah. Well, actually I yeah. did in college, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. You right. know, and yet, um, yeah, I, I, I see the, the work that you do there is very much of a, a pastoral ministry calling. And, and when you think about ministry itself, it's just, it's just work, you know, yeah. it's just work. Um, I think and a lot so of us have had a very narrow view of what ministry is over the years. And yeah, and, and, and I think, and, and especially like for us here at Inglewood in downtown urban Indianapolis, um, we do our best to not distinguish between secular and sacred. 
and to put up, um, we don't call it anything that we do ministry. Um, we call it work because that's what it is. I do work, you do work, we all do work. And, and the work that we do is all sacred. Um, it's all holy if we enter it with the perspective that we are serving God in the midst of that. Yeah. And so I think that, that that's often like, I really am grateful for the church that ordained me that, that, that said, we see the gifts of God in you to serve the church. I don't want to lose that because just like my baptism, um, it has often called me back into this work. I don't want that sense of ordination to be something that limits any of us from thinking that we are not called to do the work of the kingdom um, and the work of the building up of the body for the common good. And so whether my, my particular work has, has a lot to do with preparing sermons and organizing small groups <laughs> and uh, sitting in a lot of meetings, Yeah, <laughs> um, so but when... there's a lot of really important work that we all do for the kingdom. So when did that uh, ordination take place? Like how long ago was that for you? Early on before you went overseas or? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, my husband and I served for four years as youth ministers. And then um, towards the end of that time, that church uh, was the church that ordained us. And I was thinking about that in preparation for this afternoon. Um, I've been in ministry now for, it'll be 27 years in January. And um, I was ordained 23 years ago this month, next month. So yeah, it's been a while. So um, as we kind of transition to uh, hearing a little bit about ways that maybe you've struggled with your vocation, um, kind of going back to what you were talking about a little bit um, in the season where, you know, you might have stepped out of working in vocational ministry in the church. Um, and maybe some of those questions of uh, where you know the calling and the gifts and graces, but potentially where um, the church might even, you know, not there might not be uh, a place or kind of limiting of that. Um, how do you respond to those kind of struggles of, you know, of when you're, uh, wrestling with vocation and how those kind of add up in terms of where you're living that out. I think that I would just go back to who God is in that and say that we serve a creative God. And so the wrestling with those tensions just means in many ways that we have to find a different way to do it and a different way to think about it. Because if God is created creative and we've been made in God's image, then we can be creative about that too. And, and, and so I, yeah, I would like, I'm just inclined to say, okay, let's think about it in a different way. Let's, let's, let's try something different. Let's, let's look beyond the boxes that we tend to normally think we should fit in and say, how can I be faithful in a different way. Yeah, so it's not just black and white, you know, like uh, Richard oh, would yeah. say, like like non-dual thinking. It's not just mm-hmm. this or that. There's there's yeah. a third way. There's another way to do it. It's just that those are often the most difficult and time-consuming and 
mm-hmm. and I mean, they're, they're creative. Yeah. But they, it's difficult. And I think, yeah, it's important to, um, I think, talk about that because I think a lot of people experience those times uh, because Mm -hmm. that happens a lot, both in the church and just in the world um, where, you know, we want things sometimes uh, to be a lot more uh, in boxes and people want to kind of be able to put people in boxes and things like that and kind of have, you know, people figured out and things figured out. Um, and so, but I think, uh, for a lot of people navigating some of this, you know, these questions of vocation and, um, changes in ministry and things like that, I think we often find ourselves in those places sometimes. Um, and so I really appreciate that, you know, being able to think about, and, um, that's, I guess what I would say as well, really about looking at the fact that God is creative. And if we find ourselves in those, you know, being kind of put in those boxes, that we kind of release ourselves from that, um, knowing that God is bigger and more creative than than those, you know. Well, well, yeah, and I, I think too, um, especially right now, you've heard it and we see it that the church is undergoing some some massive shifts right now, and um, and in many ways, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, Me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know that there's, there's, um, I, I've heard and seen the, 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 the stress of a lot of my fellow um, pastors. And I ha- see worry on, um, uh, on article, in articles and in podcasts and in people talking and in fellow pastors worrying about the future of the church because of so many of the, the shifts that are happening in this culture right now. But, but for me, I see this as such a, a wonderful opportunity to reimagine faithfulness for the body of Christ. What does it really mean to be church? And what does it really mean to be the people that are church, the embodied church, you know? And, and so for those that uh, are, whatever it means to lead, for those that are leading, what does that look like? And uh, the boxes that we have built are no longer working. And so this question, I think, is just a great opportunity for us to think differently and approach church and who we are as the people of God differently. Yeah, I love that you said that earlier because I was just thinking today really about the fact that what we believe about God um, is this kind of posture of openness to God, that God is beyond um, our complete understanding. And we read um, the prayer last week um, that our podcast is really named after, um, The Long View. It kind of talks about, you know, God being beyond our understanding and ability to know, and nothing can kind of, you know, encapsulate all of that, right? And so, but that is our posture towards um, responding to God and in and through, you know, how we live out who we are, the gifts that God has given us, and how we kind of view our calling and vocation and all of those things is kind of that posture. Sure, God is certainly beyond fully what we can know, and yet... And yet, you know, we have the embodiment of God, the enfleshment of God uh, that we look to, which is Jesus. And 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 if we are to understand anything about who God is and how we relate to God, it's through Jesus that we can look. That's the lens that we take the long view of. Yeah. So. And, and I love that you kind of talked about how you're excited about some things about 
where the church is now and kind of where we're where we might be headed today. So could you share a little bit more about some of your hopes for ministry and in the future and what your dreams might be about your own, but also just in kind of in general where you see things going? Hmm. Yeah, I can. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm hoping it's just as optimistic as this vision that you share. Well, I think my optimism lies not in us, but in Jesus um, and um, and the kingdom of God. I think that whatever culture is dynamic, the church is dynamic. And so wherever it transitions in whatever form, it won't be static there either. But but however we land, um, I, I'm, I'm, I, I would long for us to get away from the idea that has been so set for so many centuries of the Constantinian idea of, of the state and everyone is a Christian and you just go to church. And that real idea of going to church, I'm sick and tired of that. And I would love for everybody to please, please stop. <laughs> just, going stop. <laughs> just stop. Just stop. Go, stop. Stop going to church. <laughs> um, and, and if that is the only thing that changes, then we are better for it um, because you can't go to who you are. I mean, if you are the church, you can't go to church. So be the church. And I, that's, I, I know other people have said that that's not new, but, but what does it really mean to be the church? It means to uh, stop delivering religious goods and services. It means um, that you care about all the things that God cares about and you care about all those things for one another and are willing to sacrifice and live deeply for one another. Um, But recognizing that God is an abundant God. And so God's given us as the body of Christ more than we can ever ask or imagine for. And, And that means we get to love our neighbors that way too. And so if, if we start, stop thinking about ourselves as a religious institution that delivers religious goods and services, like a good um, performance experience on Sunday mornings, and start thinking about ourselves as a real community that cares about all the things that God cares about for ourselves and for one another and, 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 and for our neighbors and maybe even for our enemies, um, then I think that that would be a really good shift for the church. That's what I hope for. That's what I hope for for the church. Yeah, I was reading this morning about uh, Oscar Romero and talking about how we love God as much as we love uh, the poor. And so, you know, if we're not taking care of our neighbors around us, then and and mm-hmm. don't give it a second thought, then we don't care that much about God either. Yeah, but it, it's it's not even so much as caring for and taking care of our neighbors as it's being with our neighbors. Right. Um, and to be cared for by our neighbors as well. I mean, that's what true hospitality is, is a giving and receiving of... To be host um, and welcome. guest. Uh-huh. Yeah. And to yeah. be transformed yeah. ourselves for mm-hmm. um, the work of transformation, that kind of has mm-hmm. to be part of it. Yeah. And that, and that yeah. fits with what you were saying earlier about there's no like sacred or secular work, it's just work. And then we're <laughs> all kind of mixed in with it together. So what does currently, when you think about any, um, you know, if if you're still in times of discernment or you find yourselves, you know, in times of discernment um, presently or recently, um, what does decision making look like or just that discernment? Like how would you describe, you know, those seasons if you're 
facing it now or in the past? Uh, clarify the question a little bit sure. there because I'm not sure. Like discerning what? Um, I think if you are in a season of making a certain decision. So, you know, if you're um, basically trying to discern how to decide something in your life, um, which could be related to uh, vocation and ministry and jobs and things like that, but could also uh, be other areas of life. Um, as we just talk about what discernment looks like um, for, you know, making decisions in our lives? Well, I would certainly start by saying, don't do it by yourself. That we are, we have so um, hyper uh, individualized ourselves to make those, to make decisions about everything. And we've so fragmented ourselves that we feel like, any decision that I make is mine to make. So first of all, I have the privilege of making that decision. I can do whatever I want to do. But then there's also that weight of I have to be the one to decide what I want to do or what I am called or led or whatever, however you want to say it to do. So, so first of all, stop thinking of yourself as an individual and start thinking of yourself as part of a body um, and actually being actually be part of a body in some form or fashion. Um, and, uh, and so like for me, some of my discernment weighs on the fact that there was a body of believers that, um, that ordained me. Um, and it was some of it, some of who I am is because they made a decision um, on my behalf um, now I went into that very willingly. We did that together, but but they made a decision on my behalf um, to to set me to do this work, and and so I think that 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 is some of the responsibility of um, a maturing body of believers is to be doing that work for one another, regardless of whether it is a uh, vocational ministry, I'm putting those in air quotes, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, vocational ministry, or if it's in, um, you know, some other kind of work. Um, but then I also think as, as someone who is maybe trying to decide what's next for me, um, circle others around you and, and let them ask you some hard questions and you ask them some hard questions and, and, um, and trust the presence of the Holy Spirit at work there, and um, and then move forward humbly about that. Because the best I think that we can say regarding those kinds of steps, whether it's for an individual making those decisions or a community making those decisions, is is what the disciples uh, said in was it Acts fifteen, where they made the the decision. They said it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. And 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 there's definitely a, a posture of humbleness in that step forward is that there's still a step forward. And it's a step forward in um, confidence, um, but not in certainty. And yeah. so there's a there's confidence. A yeah. yeah, yeah, there really is. And, and there's an awareness that, you know, I'm stepping forward in faith and, and trust. I'm faithfully trusting as I step forward that um, as far as I know, I am, am doing faithful work um, for God for the sake of the kingdom of God. Um, 
but there's always a possibility I'm not. And so I'm going to accept that and be, be pretty um, as humble about it as, as I can um, as we or I take some steps forward. I have a quick follow-up uh, question to that. What response or advice uh, would you have to those who might find themselves in a place, a community, a church that maybe isn't doing or being what you're describing um, as far as, you know, the maturity you talked about, the supporting, the kind of surrounding and lifting up and empowering, you know, all of those things. What response or, you know, would you have for those? I, I would just go back to some of the other things we talked about and say that, um, first of all, like, don't, we, we aren't limited to boxes of, um, of what the institutional church is. The body of believers is wide and vast and deep. And, um, and it's, it's who you uh, submit to being in community with, you know, who is it that you commit to care for and be cared, um, be cared by, you know? And, and so it, the the opportunity to explore together discerning the way of Jesus um, is is can be creative. You know, you, you don't have to be limited by an institutional form of it. Um, mm -hmm. That goes back to doing away with some of those institutional mm -hmm. religious goods and services that we tend right. to be in exchange with. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that pretty much is like the this uh, kind of the final question we had for you about encourage what encouragement do you have for others uh, as mm -hmm. they sort of stay open to God's leading and direction uh, in that uh, with that kind of spirit. Like, how would you advise people to uh, approach their their daily life and their work in that way? How do you cultivate that kind of approach? I would say that when you are again, we tend to approach this so individualistically. Um, and, and so we get to curate those that we decide to be in community with. Um, and so the downside of that is we're going to find people that agree with us and that we agree with. <laughs> it's funny how that works out. So, yeah. You know, um, my challenge to people that would be to build a community of believers uh, that do some discerning work together that are not like each other to find people, whether it's age or gender or ethnicity or sexuality or whatever, or church background, you know, that, that find people that have the way of Jesus in common, but that would approach things differently. Um, because that's where some of the richness it make, it makes it a lot, lot messier it for does. sure. Yes. Um, but if you can commit to sticking together in particular ways, um, then I think that's where the kingdom of God is enriched and um, more fully expressed. That's really beautiful. I hope we can all take that advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know that you all like to often close with a poem and I know that you guys usually have poems prepared. Um, and so if you don't want to use this one, just cut this out. <laughs> what do you, um, what do you have for us? Yeah. Um, so um, this is a poem that I wrote called ordination by fire. Hmm. And uh, I, I thought maybe that since it does talk about ordination, that it would be um, maybe helpful for folks. And hmm. if you don't think it's helpful, cut it out. <laughs> but um, I, uh, 
I was reading uh, Tom Long uh, is um, a, a pastor, and I think he actually spoke at Emmanuel a couple years ago. He loves to talk about funerals and death. And he wrote a book called The Good Funeral, uh, which anybody who, who does funerals should definitely read that. Um, but uh, this starts with a quote from Tom Long. And then um, if you think about the image of the, the burning bush, um, but also the image of um, of Mary um, pregnant, heavy with child, heavy with um, the seed of the Holy Spirit dwelling in her and um, and. Uh, being impregnated with uh, the Jesus child, then, then those are some of the images that, that are in, um, in this poem. So it starts with Tom Long's quote. He says, uh, this is ordination by fire. Tom Long says, the overpowering truth that here and there, now and then, almost every single person sees a burning bush out there on the edges of life. And we are all being called to the work of God, damn it. Those are his words. Mm -hmm. End the poem. God's in the business of burning things down or maybe burning things up. Isn't that the same thing? Or consuming us with flame. You stand barefoot before the bush and are called. Some say we need not make a distinction between holy and profane, that everything is holy if we have eyes to see. Well, sure, but I have eyes to see that you have a holy vocation when called into the flames, called into the inferno of social work or teaching or nursing or caregiving or carrying mail or making sandwiches. You see, it's not the work that makes it holy, that makes anything holy, but the fire that ignites you. You step forward. You kneel on pebbles, making marks on your knees and respond to the flames. I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. And the flames overshadow you and you are consumed, and you are called. Amen. Thank you for sharing that, Katie. I appreciate that. And thanks for sharing yourself and your story with us. And thank My you for pleasure. joining us on The Long View. <laughs> it's been a pleasure chatting with you guys. Thanks. It's been a lot of fun uh, hearing your story as well. Thank you. Thank you.